you kind of like learn what's going to be legitimate and what's not. And there's so many things that I now turn down that the old me would have said, oh my God, but that's going to be a great opportunity, great exposure. Like that doesn't exist. You expose yourself. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Today, we have on Allegra Paris, who is going to talk about how she pivoted her business from completely in-person to online. We also talk about some social media strategies and a ton more. But before we get into that, Justin, what is going on in your world? Well, as we say where I'm from, uh, keeping the roads hot, which just means, you know, I'm doing a lot of traveling. I'm in LA right now. We'll be here for another week and a half. And that kind of ends our big sprint where we were only home for two weeks out of two months. Very excited to be out here, getting to see some friends, hopefully get some good food. The weather is incredible out here. So uh, it'll be tough to go back. How about you, Cody? So I just got back from a long 4th of July weekend on the Cape. We had okay weather. It wasn't as good as I wanted, but it didn't downpour as much as I was expecting. So it was a kind of a good little hybrid there. But yeah, I went there with a bunch of my friends from my hometown. We just rented a hotel, got to see some fireworks, got to go to some cool little beach bars and party places. And yeah, it was just a pretty overall awesome weekend. But that's enough about us, Justin. Let's take a quick moment for our partner. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called Personal Capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards. They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. Cody, another great episode as always. Allegra brought in a different kind of dynamic, though. We haven't had too many people doing what she's doing on the show. And it's a, I thought of like a really awesome look into how much you can kind of pivot. You can try things. You can test things out. You can be resilient to what the world kind of puts at you and your skill set, figuring out what works for her, what's successful and and what's fulfilling to her. Hey, group fitness classes aren't for me. I've realized, hey, like in-person things are not what I want to do right now. I want to be able to get out of New York. And she just kind of took what the world gave her and what she was interested in and really made it work for her. Yeah, I think one of the key elements of this episode was resiliency. And this is someone who we honestly were trying to set up recording with her back in, I think it was late 2019. And for those that you're going to hear in the episode, but her sister, Alex Fasulo, who just crushes it, writing and doing different projects on Fiverr, making over $300,000 a year. This is her sister. She was one who introduced us a while back and we just hadn't really gotten coordinated and hadn't had her on. But I'm honestly glad 
who we kind of got her on toward the tail end of the pandemic because this is someone who just kind of crushed it. And like I said, was so resilient, pivoted her business, completely changed kind of the ways she was making money. And Justin and I literally just recorded an episode with our friend, Doc G, kind of talking about the same thing. Like how has the pandemic kind of changed the landscape, whether it was the job market, just financial independence in general. And Allegra is someone who shows you that if you are creative, if you can completely 180 your business, like you can just absolutely crush it. And I loved some of the social media tactical tips that she gave in this episode, figuring out a bunch of different ways to source clients, tons of actionable advice in this episode. All links and a short summary will be available at the slash Allegra. That's the slash A-L-L-E-G-R-A. And with that, let's welcome Allegra Paris onto the Fi Show. Growing up, it's all I ever knew because I watched my mom. Even my dad was kind of moving around from different things. But my mom, the main one that I remember because I think I was becoming like old enough to understand what was happening is she started her tattoo school, my mom. So it was just watching her like build literally like an empire. And at times I'm just like, this is all I know. And this is what I assumed everyone did. Really, you know, and so I think my sister was similar in that she immediately we we all kind of tried the nine to five life over and over again. I mean, I really did. I did a lot of internships, but then it was like we just couldn't have bosses. And sometimes I look at people and I'm like, man, I wish I could do that because like that rely. But like sometimes I'm like, God, I don't know why I can't like have a boss. But so yeah, really growing up like that, I just thought that's kind of all there was. So you obviously got it early, like both you and your sister, you get it from your, you know, get it from your mom and, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, like but like, so, you know, you're seeing it and you try to go down the internship route. You probably saw a lot of your peers going towards a normal nine to five job. Like what was the first foray into trying it on your own? And like, what were some of the fears you had? Just what was going through your mind when you tried your first take it entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I interned in fashion and in other so many different things, but I was at the Fashion Institute of Technology. It was my fourth college because I, I definitely have like a decision making thing. <laughs> I was all over the place, but I got to FIT. No, my third college. Okay, my third. Sorry, I actually majored in entrepreneurial studies because I was like, you know what? Clearly, I'm just not sure, but I know that I'm going to need to do my own thing. In school, they were like, hey, you're going to start a company. That's your senior project. So that was kind of the you don't have a choice. You need to become an entrepreneur. So then I've dabbled in thinking up ideas and this and that. And I came up with hand-painted clothing and I was selling clothing. And it's really funny because that was like my mom's first business in her 20s, hand-painted clothing. And I didn't even like do that on purpose. So I guess I was how old? Uh, 20, 21. That I started that. I got like a little, I think it was Squarespace website and just started selling. I would buy uh, swimsuits on Amazon. I would hand-paint them and sell them. And then that was the start of it, like kind of having my own little thing. And I think I kind of like took an identity in that. It was like, oh, I'm a entrepreneur. I own a business. It was never like the money because really the money didn't come for so long. It was like, ooh, look, I'm more than just this girl, like going to college. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's really cool. I've never heard of a college making you start a company as your senior project. I think that's just Amazing. I'm really curious to hear though, because I've had a lot of entrepreneurial ventures, failures, successes, and definitely my first ones ever. I'm just thinking back like, man, I really screwed this up. I learned so many lessons. Looking back on that first business, what were some of the biggest lessons? I think the first one really is a lesson my mom constantly was saying to me. It's that you cannot sell something that you don't want to buy yourself. So first I was selling product before service. And it was like putting out all these swimsuits the ones that would sell would always be the ones that you could see I was passionate about by how I promoted them, by how I like modeled them or whatever. And then I started trying to just push stuff out there that I thought like the masses wanted. 
and then it wouldn't sell. And I'm like, well, what's wrong? What's wrong? And my mom's like, well, would you wear it? And I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So silly things like that. I think working harder, not smarter. Like I think a lot of running around and like really wasting time a little bit. And then I think also this is kind of random, but being in New York city, I was really tempted and really distracted by false hopes and people. And maybe they weren't even false. It was like, I was naive. So I'd meet these people that say, I make your dreams come true, or I'll help you with this. Or then I, then I believed I needed an investor. So I started having investor meetings and like, they were telling me crazy stuff. So I think really it, what it then came down to is where I am now is like, like my mom literally goes back to my mom. She's like, you can start a company with whatever you have. Like you can do this. You can grow it at your own speed. And so it was a lot of like trying things that didn't work and like felt really abrasive, like the investment stuff. And then just getting to where I am now where I'm like, I'm a fully operating person with my own company that can choose to hire people. But that's at my kind of my own choice. And when you're first getting started, you know, I can tell clothing was your your first foray in when you were deciding that, did you put a lot of like thought into the finances behind it, like profit margins, things like that? It's obviously, you know, this podcast, a lot of our listeners are finance nerds, but that's not the normal population. So like, did you like really dig into the numbers of, hey, I think this can be profitable because of X or was it just a passion of yours? We were in school. We were taught all of that, which I honestly don't even remember half of it. How bad is that? Like, we were in finance classes. I wish I had taken more. I really wasn't that challenged. It was just like your typical profit and loss. So then, yes, back then it was like, oh, if I spend this and this and this. Then it got to the point where I realized like with a clothing brand, you need a lot of money. I mean, you just do because now we live in the world of influencers. you know. So I dabbled in trying to send influencers product and then where's the return there? And then I didn't think enough into the money side of things. Fast forward now, I've kind of pretty much dissolved the clothing for now. But I always consider it not really like a failure because I broke even. So I've broken even, but I didn't fully give it that 100% financially. And if I had, who knows where it would have gone. But that I did see with clothing was like, okay, especially being on the other side and being an influencer for some of these clothing brands and seeing this giant, like they have so much money they can spend on influencer budgets. And I was like sitting here as like a college student, like, um, I can't do any of this. So it's just interesting. So I'm going to pull a quote that I read in an interview you did with Maxim. And I think this kind of ties perfectly into what you're talking about right now. And you said, I learned that when you try to force something, it won't work. What you do must be authentic and genuine to you. And I think this just just ties in perfectly with what you're talking about, like kind of letting go of the clothing brand, chasing your passion, being a personal trainer and fitness. Could you kind of talk about how that quote has like shaped you and your business? Yeah, that for me, because I'm like a really bad liar. It's just like, my mom's like, that's a good thing. I'm like, whatever. But I can't, like, when you push something that you don't care about, it is so obvious. I don't know how people get away with it. If they even do get away with it, like, I have to be authentic. And during COVID, I realized, like, I was not passionate about selling clothes anymore. I actually was, like, having anxiety over it. And the only thing that would make me feel better, like, during such a weird, uncomfortable time was when I would FaceTime my clients and they would also be going through a weird time and they'd say, like, hey, you know, our session really made my day to day. Like I really feel good. And if, and that was like, okay, the golden ticket, like, look, I'm actually helping somebody like mentally. And then the money just kind of comes from there. And cause I think I was more genuine about what I was doing too, you know? So it's not like you kind of alluded to what your, your change was, but we haven't really talked about it. So you're doing clothing before, and then you just mentioned a session. So like, talk us through what that change was. Yeah. So I was always, I think simultaneously while I was starting the clothing brand, 
yeah, I got into personal training. My, it was really my ex. He was like studying for his certification and this and that. And that's kind of where I found my first love for training, but I was still doing the clothing. And then, yeah, it wasn't until COVID that I took my clients virtual because I had to. And I was like, just finding a new passion and actually helping people and their like mental states and their physical health. And it just felt like the clothing was like not important anymore. And I just knew that I was like never really making money from it. Cause you know, that does come into play after a while. You're like, all right, I could be passionate, but if I'm literally making $0, it's kind of just, it is what it is. And then getting rid of it and dissolving it out kind of has just been so nice, like mentally. And now I focus more on just literally helping my clients every day and through their virtual sessions. We have a lot of people and it might not be fitness that is their passion, but they have a passion. They want to monetize it. And you mentioned, you know, you had these sessions kind of going on while you're doing this clothing thing. But could you talk about how you get that first client? Because, you know, you could say, oh, that girl looks pretty fit or that guy looks pretty fit. I'll, I'm happy to take advice from them. Or you can translate this, obviously, to multiple businesses. But how did you go about getting that first person to trust you with, you know, their physical health, one of the most important things in their life? Right. So, so I was personal training in person in New York. Literally, I was sprinting around the city, like doing 10 billion things, oh, running to my clients, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like so much. But so in the beginning, I'm saving all the stories, but I had like worked with a different team, like this team of trainers that kind of tried to teach me. And then I was messaging, like there were so many different things, but I got my first person sort of through this like group of trainers, which I then ended up leaving, but they kind of pushed me and like, kind of promoted me. And then I had her and I learned so much from her and I literally still train her today. And then it became like, it's kind of funny, like thinking back, oh, referral based. The safest thing, especially for a woman in New York city is referral based training. So I was going to these people's houses and stuff. So that's what that was. And honestly, you know, you admit like when you first start anything, you're not that great at it. So I've learned so much since then, but yeah, I would say referrals in the beginning. Yep. And you talked a little bit about how like COVID kind of changed things. And I think it's really interesting with whether it be work from home or just a lot of these online businesses, how it's pushed people to think about things differently. And it's actually, you know, in a way helped some people. I imagine if you're right around New York, A, you've got like these certain windows where you can teach classes. There's only so many people who can physically be in the room. Can you talk a little bit about how this has allowed you to scale? Because I'm assuming you're doing either maybe all or at least mostly digital now and not in person. This has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I always kind of hate saying that because it was such a hard time for everybody. And like, you know, it still is and this and that. I'm just saying for my business, it's crazy because I went through these phases again in New York City of teaching classes and running to this, running to that, running to clients. And now I started an online coaching business inspired by my clients who, when the pandemic first hit, I texted them all and said, Hey, like, do you want to just FaceTime? Like, I know that I can't see you for a while. And they're like, okay. And then all of a sudden it took off so well. Like these cameras are so freakish. Like you can see everything. I can see if my client is, their form is not right by like an inch. I can see everything. So that's kind of gave me the idea. And then um, I started on online fitness coaching business. And that's the first thing I've been able to actually really scale, which is amazing. Cause that's what these, <laughs> when I had all those investor meetings, like a long time ago, that's all they said, like scalability. And I was like, shut up. Now I'm like scalability. <laughs> And it looks like just from checking out your social media profiles, I mean, you've done a phenomenal job at growth. Is that kind of how it always started? Like, did you say, okay, I need to build up my Instagram. I need to build up YouTube, TikTok, whatever avenues you might be using. Or did that come later? I'd kind of love to hear the strategy and how you know some of our listeners might be able to take home those pieces of advice in their own business. So that came way later. 
because of my sister. She literally forced me to start doing it. She's like, you are just out of your mind that you are not on all these platforms. I was living in this bubble in New York City where I thought that everyone was judging me and my pictures had to be perfect and bleh, and I had no real connection with my audience. And then I was like, you know what? I just stopped caring. Like COVID literally helps me to care less. I, I got taken out of this like bubble that I was in. I got thrown into a different state two different times. And I just was like, you know what? Let's go. So the second I started posting content where I cared less about how I looked, cared less about this and that you could see though. But what I did care about was my, like what I'm talking about, right? Like it was nutrition or fitness, bam, it exploded. Like, and now all I do is act like a machine. And every day I don't care what the comments are. I just put like one to two new videos up every day. And now I'm up to in two months, I got 50,000 followers on TikTok because I just post two videos a day. That's it. Wow. <laughs> and like literally the one that went to a million views, I look hideous. I like no makeup on. The old me would be like crying in the corner. Now I'm just like, whatever. I don't care. And for platforms like say maybe like Instagram, if somebody's not on TikTok where, you know, you're, you're posting the pictures periodically, but you kind of see them all in this catalog style. Do you try to, do you use like some kind of style guide? Do you try to think about putting them together in a certain way? Or is it really just like whatever you feel like posting it? Like, I'm just curious, like how much strategy you're putting into something like that. It's so funny because I used to be obsessed. The colors had to be perfect. I had a fake Instagram account just so I could see what they would look like ahead of time. And what did that get me? Nothing. Just wasting my time. My It was literally my sister that was like, you're a Virgo. You care too much about attention <laughs> to detail. You need to stop. And now I have no strategy. I just post what I think is truly going to help somebody. And you know, I get all the haters, but I'm like, guys, no, like, like, okay, I posted a video of me eating this chicken salad that I always make really affordable. Cause I train a lot of girls in college and like, no, not everyone has much, like, you know, people need to do what they gotta do. So I posted this chicken salad and you could like hear me chewing in it. And I don't know what that did for people, but this video is up to 300,000 views in like one day. And I'm just laughing. Cause it's like, okay, people kind of wanted to know this like stupid little recipe. And maybe that made someone's like day easier and bam, it explodes. So everything I once knew I've switched. Like if you post something you believe will help people, I think that you're good to go. What percentage of your time are you typically spending doing all the social media stuff? Because I know me, I get so burnt out if I'm like trying to get multiple Instagram stories and Instagram posts and TikToks and YouTube videos. Like it's it's a lot of work. People think, you know, Allegra just recorded this two minute video, threw it up. It took her a total of 10 minutes. Probably not unless you're just absolutely crushing it and I'm really slow. But I feel like it takes a lot of work and I'd love to hear how you kind of balance that out with all the other things you have going on in your business. Yeah. At first I, oh my gosh, if you asked my family, like they were like, why are you always complaining and miserable? And I'm like, because I hate making content, you know, whatever you have to post what is really easy for you to post or you won't do it at all. I have not even gotten into YouTube videos because I know that is another monster where you have to do all the editing. What I do do, and this is my trick. Here we go. I make a TikTok. I post a TikTok. I downloaded an, another app called save talk. I save the TikTok to my phone with no watermark. I then put that video on my Instagram reels, on my Pinterest, and on my YouTube shorts. It is the same piece of content now for four platforms, and it's amazing. And like already, you know, one of the YouTube shorts is up to like 23,000 views. And it's so weird because I've never gotten this kind of stuff in my life ever. So that's how I do that. I mean, hey, if I start a YouTube though, you can call me in a year and see how if I'm crying. You know, I don't know. <laughs> So speaking of all this video content, like you're doing all these training online, I'm assuming most of it's live. Have you started looking into a foray to where someone could go in and watch a pre-recorded workout at their own time? 
so I don't teach classes because I'm just, it was never my thing. I take only one-on-one. The virtual is just me and the other person. And then the online fitness coaching that I do scale, I never see them virtually. It's just a program where they sign in and they have access to these like completely customized workout and meal plans that I make them. And if they're like, Hey, I don't get what this workout is. There's a little video of me demoing that workout for them. So it's really customized and they have access to messaging with me 24 seven. So that's as pre-recorded as I get. I tried, like literally during COVID, I tried everything. I tried the pre-recorded videos. You could probably see in my face how much I hated it. And it didn't, it didn't work. It was like that simple. So I guess to compare and contrast the in-person versus online, just so people can kind of get a sense, we don't have to use like real numbers here or anything, but like as a percentage, is it more, less, half, double? Like what can you charge for someone who's online versus in-person? I'm guessing the in-person probably has a premium because you might be able to critique a little bit more, like get that personal interaction, but I'd love to hear, and I'm sure this can scale across many different industries. Yep. So I think some trainers maybe would think differently, but I definitely yes, now can raise my in-person rate. And really why I say that is because now with virtual, we sign on, we train and bam, I have somebody the following hour. Like I'll have four people in a row, four hours. So my price on virtu- for virtual is about half of my price in person because in person I have to travel probably additional hour, right? So that's two time slots virtual that I've lost now for one in person. So I kind of split mine in half and then my in-person is double, but I hear some trainers keep it the same price. And I just personally don't agree because some people just do not think they are the same thing. You know, some people love it and are like, oh my God, it's amazing. I can get right to work after jump in the shower. Other people are like, no, I need you in the room with me. And if you're doing four hours, like back to back to back, like physically, like for you to keep up, I mean, like, are you just kind of like doing some of the things with them? It's not like where you're kind of, you're doing the exact same workout with them. You're just kind of watching them and critiquing. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm thinking through my head, like if you're doing this four or five hours every day, it just seems like it would be a grind on the body. No, I die. I would die. If I was <laughs> with them. Yeah, no. So I, per, first of all, when I'm very serious about my one-on-one and I want them to know I'm watching their form and they want to know, that's why they pay me this money. They want to know I'm literally staring at them the whole time. So no, they do not want me doing the workout with them. What I do do is demo each move quick. So I'll jump on the ground, show them everything, and then I'll sit back down and watch them. In my opinion, I think because I literally worked so hard in New York, like to the point where I was up at 5 a.m., done at 9 p.m., I would take like 10 billion workouts. Like because I was so crazy in New York, to me, this new version of my life is so much easier that like the four hours of sitting there watching someone on the phone is just not, like I'll do it with no complaints, if that makes sense. It's so much more relaxed now. That's awesome. <laughs> that's good. That's good to hear that it's not all the hustle and bustle of New York City. One thing that I noticed, though, I mean, there's so many, and especially since COVID, there are so many Instagram fitfluencers or fitness people, whatever the the terminology you might want to use is. But a lot of these people don't really legitimize their business in any way. They might post workout videos here and there. It might be on Instagram, TikTok, whatever you name the platform. But they don't really have an end goal. They don't have a strategy. They don't have like some way to monetize it. They might not even have a website. And I mean, I'm on your website here. It looks super professional. It looks like you even have like a little lead magnet at the top asking your clients straight off the bat, what's their goal? Like weight loss, build muscle, better health. Is this stuff that kind of iterated as you learned what clients wanted? Or is this a stra- like, was this part of the strategy from the beginning? I mean, ever since I started the TikTok, you know, just pumping out videos, I get like so many leads a day. It's like a, it's amazing. But um, no, I swear over the like, year of COVID, I tried so many things. I tried, like you said, the, the videos on the site pre-recorded. I tried group fitness over virtual and all these things failed. I tried making my own website. I'm not even lying to you probably 15 times. 
and I make it, but I would hate it because I made it and I would do all the wrong things. I knew nothing. So, th- so this most recent one, I actually had somebody make for me and we worked together on it, but I let him completely control it. And he knows I'm like a psycho about it. And he'll be like, Allegra, like, I'm going to listen to your opinion and not take it, but thank you. (laughs) So I would say this is a compilation of literally all the times I failed. And I'm only recently had this new site, I think now for three or four months. And it's been amazing. And not only the website Allegra, but it looks like you also have an app. I'd love to kind of hear how difficult that process was and what made you want to go that route. Because that seems like another thing that just makes you stand out from the competition a ton. Well, really, it's my only thing I I sell is the app. It's the online fitness coaching. It's just through an app. It seems like I have all these other things going, but I've finally kind of simplified. And that's why I'm so happy (laughs) just doing this one thing. And so the AP, Allegra Paris Fit is online fitness coaching with me. It's through this app. So it's actually a um, personal training software that I did not have to create. And there's a tech team behind it, which is amazing. Because again, I try, you know, I tried all these things on my own and failed miserably, like, you know. So finally, I'm like, "Hmm, maybe I should just actually get some help. And so I bring clients on through this app. Now, when they log in, it kind of looks like my own app, like, oh, it's her app, but really it's kind of a software with just my logo on it, which is great. I'm happy with it. And that's where they can access their personalized workout plans and meal plans, then message me 24 seven through the app. Now, I've heard you talk about kind of New York a few times, like in a past tense. And I'm curious with COVID, obviously, a lot of people have been able to relocate work from wherever they want to. Is that another part of this journey where you were able to to leave New York and the costs that come with it? Because now you're just teaching everything virtual. It doesn't really matter where you're located. It's been insane. I would say leaving New York was a, like, so I'm here right now. My apartment is up. The lease is up in July and um, I will be moving to Miami. What actually ended up happening, it's a really strange story and I won't go into detail, but um, I ended up dating a guy and moving, like he lived in North Carolina and all of a sudden it was like this, haha, you should move here. And I was like, haha, no. And like literally everything goes into lockdown and I end up staying in North Carolina for like 11 months because he had a huge home, I had tons of space and I had a gym to freaking film all this stuff in. I mean, it was like, it was like, I was so happy. And I was out of this small box that is my apartment. And it like opened my eyes because I spent so much time alone and like in quarantine and I could film. And all of a sudden I was like, maybe I can like leave this hustle and bustle life that really was like a hamster on a wheel. Like I wasn't making a lot of money. I was freaking like kind of unhealthy because I was just running around, not even just so many things. Like I opened my eyes so much. So now coming back to the city, I'm like, I don't know if I want this life anymore. I would rather go to like a warm environment where my parents just moved to Florida and spend a little bit less and take care of my body more. Like I've just opened my eyes as I've grown into this role as like a nutrition coach as well. I've like also taken care of myself better. You know what I mean? It's like, it makes sense. One thing we haven't really chatted about, and so we've kind of talked about how AP Fit is now your bread and butter, online coaching, you're bringing clients in through all these various platforms, Instagram, TikTok, maybe YouTube in the future, who knows, you kind of shut down the clothing line, sponsorships and working with brands, it seems like especially this past year, and it seems like this past year is just magic for you, Allegra, you have just some of the names that you've been working with are massive names in the industry, like Theragun, Technogym, is it Bandier? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and all these, I mean, I see these companies sponsoring big podcasts I'm listening to. And it's like, for those people who might not be at that level, like we'll, we'll kind of work our way up from some of those early sponsorships. Because I know there's just so many garbage companies out there who will reach out to people who are 
you know, who might have like 2000 followers on Instagram, like, Hey, you know, wear my stuff and, or whatever, promote my product. And it's just, it's a bad deal all around. It might not be the right fit. It might just be kind of a shady company. You know, what were, what was kind of your first dealings in the sponsorship brand deal arena? I think at the beginning, they'll try to say like, they'll try to ask for more than they'll ask for a lot and not pay a lot type thing. And you're just trying to get in. So you do that anyways. So I was doing a ton for brands. I wasn't, I wasn't getting paid at all. Or, you know, you kind of have to like, I don't know if it's like pay your dues, but you're just like learning the ropes, I guess. So I did a lot of that. And then it kind of came down to it where I was making enough in other areas of my life. And fortunately, influencing is not my only job and I would never let it be my only job. But I was able to say, hey, sorry, I only do paid jobs. And that was the best thing I could do for myself because then I could just, if I knew they were paying me, even if it was a small amount, I was so much more focused, ready to go, to, you know, designate so much time to the job. And that was a great way, I think. And I always tell people, just definitely work for some kind of money. It doesn't have to be a lot. I don't do crazy expensive deals. Like I have to be passionate about the product. And if I am passionate, they're giving it to me for free already. So I'm excited stuff like that. That's something I've actually been helping my sister with because she'd always agree to free stuff. And then she's like, wait, I don't have time to shoot this or whatever. And I'm like, should have been paying. (laughs) Time will disappear. You just have the time all of a sudden. (laughs) So this is not really probably the most like business centric question, but Cody knows this. I'm a sucker for free stuff. What's like the coolest free thing you've ever got? Like an actual item? Huh? Hmm. Definitely like along the lines of hype rice, you know, Theragun getting those actually. Okay. Those are amazing. But Techno Gym sent me an entire weight rack from their personal line because they knew I was in love with it because it's like shiny and like mirrored and white. This thing is so freaking expensive. I remember it arrived and it was so heavy <laughs> and so crazy. Like I couldn't believe they sent it to me. So yeah, it was like a dumbbell rack, but they it looks like a piece of art. It's so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love it. So at this point, you're not doing things unless you're getting paid. Totally respect that. It would just be such a hassle if you're saying yes to every clothing, fitness, nutrition company that wanted you to promote their stuff. But what's kind of a good threshold? Let's say someone has, I don't know, 2,500 or 5,000 Instagram followers. Like what is that yes price point? Is it $50, 100, 500? I I honestly have no idea. I would say there's like two different versions of because if you do really, really want the product, it's always fine to do something for free if you're just going to do. My thing is like, I'll post a story. If they just want to send me a goodie bag, whatever, okay, I am so happy to push up a bunch of stories. If I like the product, I have to be genuine. And then the other side of things, okay, if you are considered a micro-influencer, I think you're just like in the 1,000 to 10,000. I'm not sure. I think maybe I was doing in-feed posts for even like, yeah, 200 bucks, maybe more, maybe maybe 500. Stories, maybe like 100 bucks for like two or three. I don't know. And then I would say that really just doubles kind of within each span of followers but it's funny because some companies will be like story slides and slides are inside a story so if you agree to two stories that's six slides like you're like wait what (laughs) but let's see i think even now so if you had maybe twenty thousand to forty thousand or fifty thousand you could do like a maybe eight hundred nine hundred a thousand per post it also depends your engagement like some micro influencers and some if you're like mildly famous in some way or your YouTube's big, I mean, you can get paid tons. I believe I could probably be making more now that I've grown like my TikTok. Like, I think I know of people making like a lot more than me and maybe I haven't kind of touched into that. That's why I'm like, okay, I think I still have a lot to learn in the world of influencing. But yeah, I think if you had about 50,000 followers, you could be doing a thousand or so for an in-feed post. Wow. You've mentioned TikTok a couple of times and I think for a lot of people, you know, maybe we understand like, product placement type ads for Instagram, or we understand websites like 
email list advertisement space, but like for TikTok specifically, is there like something unique about the way the monetization works? I think there's just something unique about the way that engagement is and the views. Like it's insane. I mean, I see people do, um, they'll post the same piece of content on Instagram and on TikTok and they'll, they'll show the engagement for both. And it's like, oh, 5,000 views on Instagram. And then it's like 100,000 views on TikTok. I mean, your stuff's just being like, I've never gotten this many emails in my life of companies being like, can we please work with you? We'll pay you. You know, I'm already raising my rates for TikTok because they see this engagement is just insane. You don't even have to try that hard. You like throw a tick, uh, you throw a hashtag up and you're done. So hashtagging is part of the strategy. Yeah, like, I mean, the content needs to be good. I guess that's really where it lies. Your content, your video, you know, it needs to be good, but you just do a tiny little caption no one cares about and some hashtags and you're done. It's like amazing. Are most of the leads you're getting inbound or it sounds like a lot of them are, but are you doing any outbound outreach as well? Like trying to work with your dream companies and things like that? Because I'm sure you get a lot of, like you said, inbound leads from TikTok, Instagram, any other social media platforms, but. So all my leads for the fitness coaching is I would say a lot of it comes from TikTok and that those are like my potential clients for the coaching. And, but in terms of companies, they email me usually. And no, it's funny. Every time I've tried to do, like I've tried to reach out to a brand, they will not pay me. So that's where I would need like, I don't know, a manager, a sister, whatever, whoever kind of manages me. So if I'm reaching out, it's because I want just the product to maybe like, for example, with like, I've been trying to get into swimwear a bit more. So I'll reach out and they'll say, yeah, yeah, we'll send you a bunch of suits, just post. And they won't pay me. But it's so funny. Anytime I've tried to reach out and ask for payment, they're literally like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) So they have to approach me for if they'll pay kind of thing. And when you just mentioned, you know, you just mentioned hashtags for TikTok. I mean, somebody like me, I'm the furthest thing away from a social media guru. If somebody's out there, you know, looking into something like this, I'm like, I mean, I see 20 hashtags at the bottom of all these videos. Like, where do I start? Like, do you have, do you, is there a tool that you can use that helps you generate these things? Or is it just really off the top of your head? Like, how do you decide which, you know, slew of hashtags you're going to throw at the bottom of a video? So each platform is different. Instagram, it seems like they're not even useful anymore. I don't use them on Instagram reels. I, my sister and I talk about it. We said we agreed on two hashtags and you put them right in your caption and you just do what's in the video. So if it's, you know, working out, you'll be like at home workout. That's a really trendy one just because of COVID. And then like hashtag like weight loss. Like I know to kind of put like weight loss rather than write like ankle weights. You know what I'm saying? You think about what people are searching. Like I've had to switch my brain to this like marketer's brain and then it all kind of makes sense. TikTok, same thing. You either, there's two things. You either do what's in the video or you go to the like, I'm still learning it. What is it called? For you page. You go into the for you page, you see what hashtag is trending and you use that. See, it's just different per platform. And it didn't take me that long to learn. I know it sounds like a lot. It's kind of just Yeah, I feel like the biggest thing is just kind of getting in there, posting, figuring it out, because you're going to be horrible at any platform at first. Like everybody's horrible at everything they start. But, you know, once you start getting the reps in, no pun intended, since you're a fitness instructor, (laughs) you'll only get a little bit better at that. I appreciated that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I am missing, and maybe you can fill me in if this is not correct, but a whole nother revenue stream we haven't touched on is the modeling. You were just talking about your swim swimsuit shoots. And I know you work with an agency. How does that whole thing kind of work? Is it like you get paid on a per shoot basis or you want a contract? And you know, how did that all start? So it's funny that started, you know, moved to New York City. I think everyone's every little girl's dream when they like moved to New York is like, I want to be a model, blah, blah, blah. And um, that was me. 
And so I started trying to be with agencies and I was too short. I was too this, I was too that. It's like all the same drama. And I see these girls post like what, you know, the shame they get from agencies or what, I don't know. In my opinion, I work with an agency. I don't work with them often. I've definitely taken it into my own hands. And I think that agencies are struggling really hard because all these girls are growing on Instagram and your Instagram is now your resume. That is the only reason I post these swimsuit pictures on my Instagram. It is not thirst traps. I truly is not. I really, it's really a resume for me because then these brands write to me and they say, Hey, we want you to model for us. Like that's all, that's the only reason I post what I post. But anyways, I've taken it into my own hands. It's kind of my message to any girl that gets denied from an agency. Cause again, I'm pretty short for what I, in terms of modeling. So some of the jobs are through the agents and then they take 20%. And then otherwise it's just me working through photographers or working through myself. So sketchers, I just booked that was through the photographer. He just liked working with me in the past. So he said, Hey, do you want to use this model? And that's kind of how I've been getting my work. So I don't know. It's definitely the story of like, when they turn you down type thing, like you don't give up because I remember agents always turning me down. And then like when I booked Under Armour, it was like a dream because I was on the walls of the store and I wanted to be like, take that, you know, like with modeling, really it's with social media, you kind of take it into your own hands now. It's pretty crazy. One big theme I've heard throughout this whole episode is like all these like kind of partnerships and working with other people, whether it be like, you know, somebody help you build the website, the app, the, you know, like agencies, this and that, like you're having to work with a lot of people curious if you have any like advice for people to make sure they're not getting taken advantage of. Like I'm sure you've hit some situations where oh, yeah. somebody didn't have your best interest in mind. Constantly. Well, I just, I would say that was part of my, like, I was always having meetings or this person was always promising me something. My message and what I would have said to myself is nobody can do anything for you. Like I always thought I needed my sister and I, I'll never forget. We had no money. We were nothing. We would put on the nicest pair of shoes we could and we'd go to a networking event and we would talk to people that would tell us they our dreams would come true and like it was just such a joke but now we know like the only person that can make your goals happen is literally you so once i decided that and did this all for myself then i kind of chose to bring in like a you know website person but it was only that i knew this website person would work because i've been screwed over by so many other website people so you kind of like learn what's going to be legitimate and what's not and there's so many things that i now turn down but the old me would have said oh my god but that's going to be a great opportunity great exposure like that doesn't exist you expose yourself like i've seriously learned that if you're not a famous person and like you're not in a tv show you need to engineer your own following you need to engineer everything cuz nobody will do it for you so no i really don't work with like as many people as it sounds, it's just my website guy. And then I really barely work with my agents anymore. It's kind of funny, but I keep it small like that on purpose. I think a true entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. And the fam, you know, we got the fam involved. Got it. Got the fam involved. I think one theme I've heard that's rampant throughout the entire story is like, you are not afraid of failure at all. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, you know, every time something doesn't work, you're just like, Oh, whatever. And you pivot and make a change and make it better and iterate. And then it starts working out for you. Is that kind of how you view the world and why don't no. failures affect you? <laughs> no. And when people say that, I'm like, what are you saying? No, I literally have always been horrified. And I was just like, Oh my God, I'm gonna have no money. I'm gonna do this. And the problem was I was working so hard in New York. I was doing 10,000 things at once just so I could sleep at night that I was making enough money. No, it was really like an unhealthy way to be. And it wasn't until COVID that ripped me out of here and put me in a safe place where I literally wasn't spending any money because I was just sitting in a house in North Carolina that I then gained a new confidence in growing something where I could actually sit on my butt for eight hours and make money. Like I was so used to like destroying myself every day. 
So I think the confidence came from becoming successful at something and not actually working as hard as I thought I had, like physically as hard as I had to, I guess, if that makes sense. Putting all my work together, finally, like everything that I've learned together. I think one interesting thing, and this is not really a question as much as it's like a, a statement, you know, with this being a financial independence podcast, like would you just mention COVID pulled you out, put you in this this house in North Carolina where you didn't have the expenses and that made you feel like comfortable enough to kind of take a little bit more of a leap. And a lot of our you know listeners, we've talked to them over and over again about how, you know, you build this financial cushion, you have that independence to do what you want to. And it opens up a lot of doors because now you're not doing everything at, from a conservative standpoint. You're not sitting there saying, man, like, I, I would love to try that, but the risk of if it goes wrong, like when you remove a lot of that that risk and that fear because you have a, a good financial base, it just opens up a ton of options for you. And that's been me post-COVID, literally. It was like I got like some doors actually opened. I wasn't scared for once. I mean, it was not like a healthy way to be, but it was kind of the only way I knew. And I know I mentioned this at the beginning, but it just seems like in terms of like media mentions and press, you've been blowing up lately. You and your sister both actually. Are you guys like <laughs> coming yeah. at this tactically with a strategy? I saw you were mentioned in like Forbes. I mentioned the Maxim interview earlier. Like those are some big name companies that a lot of people would love to have a chance to get interviewed by. Is this a strategic thing? Is it just good luck and you're kind of doing your thing and people are coming to you or what does that look like? I would say like my sister's such an insane powerhouse, like where it's literally frightening that she just, you, she's up at, you know, 6am. She's not done working until 8pm. She's kind of the one that's been so pushy with me to just kind of, I almost look at it like she's climbing up a mountain and I'm like hanging from her belt, like holding on, like just going with her. <laughs> like she's amazing. And, and with a lot of the press, she's written it for me because she's an amazing writer, as you guys know. So I think we kind of just teamed up. We, the, you know, good thing from being in the city is my like, I would say like the human, the connections I did make that it's really who, you know, I mean, it's always been who, you know, for all this stuff. So did I happen to know someone here and there? Yeah. Did I message them? Has it like, was my relationship with them really strong? Do I have a sister that knows how to write a really great article? Yeah. But I'm not afraid to say any of that. I think again, I'm not a famous person, right? So it's like, I have to have these tools to get myself onto the next level. And that's another thing I wish I would have told myself is it's like, it's just who, you know, so I think it's definitely like a, she'll try to say, oh, Lager, you've done some of it. No, she's literally done so much for me. And I think I just put in the work because I kind of went through like a, it's, it's funny because it's like I went through such a strong past few months for my business because I was going through such a hard breakup, like leaving North Carolina. So what's funny is like what came out of that was me working so hard to just like grow because I was like, I'm so upset. <laughs> So that's, I don't know. I feel like it's necessary to say, cause I think that a lot of people go through this stuff and don't kind of say that out loud, but, um, between just how hard she and I work together, kind of being alone in a house in Florida, like that's kind of what it produced and just knowing who, you know, and you know, through your story, it feels like you're kind of fairly recently, like really hitting your groove, like where things are really taken off. You really feel comfortable with where you're at, with the classes that you're doing, the platform, like, you know, out of all the things where you've had to iterate, you feel like you're in a really good place. Are you starting to think about like the next iteration or the next change? Or you're like, hey, you know what? Like, I just kind of want to enjoy this for a bit because I feel like I've really figured something out. It's a mix of both because I'm scared to move to Miami. You know, I'm leaving my friends and stuff, but I want to start a YouTube and I want to have a bigger apartment where I can film, which maybe would take me to do new heights. Um, I want to learn how to scale my business now because all of a sudden I'm getting all these leads from TikTok like a lot. And I literally don't know what to do with them. I like write to these people and I'm like, hi, <laughs> like, I don't know how to spell anything. Sorry. So I have steps in that regard, you know, like, do I hire someone to help me? 
And I also, I think where I'm different with my sister, she is, she loves like just climbing and climbing. Like she is just loving that. Whereas I actually like feeling good and just making money. Like, cause for so long I wasn't that I'm like, ah, okay. I can just like sit down and have a glass of wine for a second. And that's been feeling really nice to have like some consistency and money coming in and this and that. But yeah. So I think my, it's like a mix, right? So it's like, I'm enjoying chilling, but I'm also like slowly climbing my way up, just seeing what's going to come next. Well, definitely excited to kind of follow the journey and see what's next for you. See what other crazy press articles come out with Allegra (laughs) Paris in the headline. For those who want to follow along with what you're doing, I mean, you've mentioned a few things that you're doing here. It seems like most of it's kind of funneled into the AllegraParis.com, the AP Fit. You know, where are some of the best places where people can kind of get in touch and follow along? Well, the good news is everything that I do, all my handles are the same. Just It's literally at AllegraParis for everything that I do. The website's AllegraParis.com. My TikTok is getting crazy. If you guys want to hear me eat chicken salad, (laughs) go like on my TikTok. But the goal is, you know, doing a big YouTube soon. So that's where hopefully you guys can find me. Well, Legger, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's really cool to hear your full story, like how you started, all the iterations you've had to make, how COVID, you know, you actually took that and turned it into a positive. So appreciate you coming on and just sharing your story with us. Thank you so much for having me. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.